Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Facebook tries to write a constitution and the venture capital boys club. But first, the gamification of dating. So tonight, millions of couples will do the Valentine's Day thing, going out to overpriced dinners and grabbing last second roses, cards, and chocolates from whatever store or street vendor still has some left. And that's the same as it's been for decades. The big difference today, though, is that a large percentage of those couples met not at a bar or through a friend, but on their smartphones. According to research by professors at Stanford and the University of Mexico, 39% of U.S. heterosexual relationships and a whopping 65% of same-sex relationships in 2017 began online. Now, a lot of that's through traditional dating sites like eHarmony or Match.com, but more and more is coming via apps like Tinder and Bumble, which have essentially gamified the dating process. Hyper-personalized, endless options, and like so many other online games, highly addictive. What's too early to know, of course, is if these app-born relationships will be stronger and more fulfilling than their analog predecessors, or again, like so many other online games, if they'll ultimately be looked back on as wasted time that can't be recovered. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios's Jesse Lee, who wrote about the gamification of dating over the weekend. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Jesse Lee. So Jesse, why did you want to write about the gamification of dating in the first place? Well, it really started with reality dating shows, actually. I've never been huge on The Bachelor, but I became obsessed with Britain's Love Island and also had seen a number of episodes of China's If You Are The One. And, you know, of course, these dating shows, they're fantasy, they're a form of entertainment, but they also reflect the gamification of dating in very unique ways. And you can see through these dating shows um, how these countries each gamify in their own ways. So, of course, you know, in the U.S., The Bachelor, you could say that's uniquely American. In China, um, that dating show I talked about, parents have special veto power of their children's future mates. So it kind of combines this uh, Confucian tradition with modern spectacle. And in Love Island, you know, it's, it's very dramatic. It's very emotional. And a lot of people have said that um, the show has actually made a society that is um, less keen on expressing emotions. It's made that more socially acceptable. And so I was looking at that and also looking at how this gamification carries into how people are navigating the dating world with apps globally. And so, you know, the traditional trope of dating is kind of love at first sight. But I think that it's kind of become more judge at first swipe, <laughs> where <laughs> the, the very construction of these apps uh, is a game that causes many users to become fixated on playing and playing until they find a mate. And so, you know, with my story, I, I want to explore the implications of that. Not only swiping and, and playing until they find a mate, often after that too, right? Right. Well, I think that's what the addictive nature of these apps is. You know, we talked to a number of people who are actually in established relationships and they said, well, I just like to keep swiping because it's fun. It's a game. And there's so much in the actual construction of the app that uh, incentivizes doing that. And so, you know, first of all, it's it's the format. It's a yes or no swipe. 
And so there is this psychological motivation to make a match because it's sending these pleasurable signals to your brain when you swipe yes and the other person does as well. So you're talking about mm -hmm. actual, literally a chemical reaction. Yes, yes. There have been psychologists who have studied this. And, you know, one professor actually told us that it's kind of like a drug because you can get this release over and over every time you're swiping. <laughs> the makers of these apps, did they acknowledge and endorse the idea that they have basically gamified dating or do they push back against that? It varies. So the, the founder of Hinge, we, with, we talked talked to Justin McLeod, um, he actually acknowledged this gamification of dating and he has talked about how there's this kind of casino mentality to dating. And so he actually rebranded Hinge in 2016 to get rid of the swiping mechanism. And on Hinge now, you actually have to, you know, respond to a person's different quotes on their dating profile or, or, or different prompts that they have set up. Um, you actually have to respond to them or like a specific picture. You can't just swipe. And so they've kind of addressed that in that way. But most of the other dating app executives that we spoke to are pretty wary about calling these platforms a game. Uh, a lot of them like to say that the apps reflect this quote-unquote democratization of dating, where they're saying it's actually creating this level playing field for anyone to meet anyone. Obviously, dating is always, you know, on a first date with anybody, you're obviously creating a... I don't want to say fictionalized version of yourself, but trying to put your best foot forward. Let's call it that. But with these apps, are you actually seeing the, and I don't mean not seeing the real person like they're putting a picture of somebody else, but so much of this seems to be intentional, whether you want to call it manipulation, of that profile, of that first look. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, part of playing the game is presenting this particular version of yourself, you know, making yourself appear as desirable as possible. And that can definitely lead to unmet expectations. You know, one sociologist we spoke to actually said it's it's become a form of work. It's not even a game anymore, just keeping up with these dating apps. You have a stat in there that says that millennials on average are spending 10 hours per week on these apps. That's that that's more than the work day. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Although a lot of that's probably happening during the workday, but still, that's a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And I think part of it is just the fact that there is this kind of infinite scroll sensation happening. You know, there's an endless number of choices, and that actually makes it more difficult for you to make a choice um, because you feel like there's an infinite number of options. And if you just keep swiping, you might finally meet the one. Speaking of the one, you've got a quote in there from someone named Helen Fisher who's saying that these apps aren't necessarily so much about the one, but it's this concept of the quote is fast sex, slow love. What does that mean? Yeah, so fast sex, slow love, uh, she's referring to this phenomenon, especially among younger millennial singles, where they're more likely to go through these different stages that are traditionally associated with the relationship, but it's before they ever actually define the relationship. So for instance, they'll go on a lot of dates, they'll have sex, but they've never defined that they're a couple. Or once they're in a couple, you know, they'll move in together and never have spoken about marriage. And, you know, her analysis of this is, you know, many people might say that this makes millennials more reckless. But she actually sees it as caution. She says that, you know, in this increasingly gamified sphere of dating, millennials are more on their toes than ever. They're more careful than ever. And this is causing them to act in such a way um, where they are increasingly cautious. And that might ensure that they have a better fit. There's a survey that, that Axios did with, in partnership with SurveyMonkey that shows that if you look at satisfaction with dating apps among those who have used them, it really goes down by generation, you know, most popular among millennials. And then if you kind of look down the chart, particularly once you get to 60 plus, not a huge amount of satisfaction with the process. Yeah, I mean, the people who are actually using these apps are finding them really fulfilling. A couple of people I spoke to, you know, I was bringing up this idea, well, do you feel like uh, using this apps is a game? You know, do you feel like you're playing a game? And they're saying, well, yes, there are these gamified elements, but actually, you know, I, you know, one person said, I met my wife on Tinder. So, you know, 
there are gamified elements, but it wasn't a game for me because I actually met my life partner. Jesse Lee of Axios, thank you so much for joining us. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which is beginning to develop what effectively amounts to a constitution or a detailed set of rules that will govern what can and can't be said on its platform. Axios' Scott Rosenberg reports this morning that this is basically the result of Facebook agreeing with its critics, that a social network of 2 billion plus users is too unwieldy to govern piecemeal. And the company recently posted a draft charter that would create a group of 40, quote, global experts that would serve kind of as an independent independent oversight committee. They actually get paid part-time with the members serving three to six years and then choosing their own successors. The bottom line is that it's a start and actually a pretty good one. But the big question is what would happen if and when this independent board makes a decision that conflicts with Facebook's business interests? And finally, Axios this morning released an analysis showing that fewer than 10% of all decision makers at U.S. venture capital firms are women. That's up slightly from last year's figure, but again, just slightly. Why it matters for women wanting to get into or succeed in venture capital is obvious, but the bigger story is probably how this gender imbalance makes it even more difficult for female entrepreneurs to get their companies funded. It's the worst sort of trickle-down effect for America's economy, essentially stunting the creation and growth of companies that not only cater to women, but tons of them gender neutral companies like in software, hardware, or biotech that simply happen to have been started by people who were different from those writing almost all of the checks. Again, it's gotten a bit better, but just barely. The VC industry must improve faster. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great Valentine's Day, or if that's not your thing, a great national Ferris wheel day. And we'll be back on Tuesday with another Pro Rata podcast.